Democrats made headlines this week by criminalizing lynching, the horrific practice of kidnapping and hanging a black person from a tree, also known as murder. And speaking of murder, this is, this is a little known fact, but lynching was actually already illegal under anti-murder laws. <laughs> this is one of those little things that most people don't realize about our criminal justice system, apparently. Like, um, you know, sometimes you hear about the kooky, silly laws in small towns around the country, like how some random town in the Midwest, it'll have a law against milking your cow on Sundays. You know, actually Los Angeles even has a law against putting women's underwear out in public on clotheslines in the autumn and winter. That's no joke. So this is kind of like that. Um, a lot of people apparently didn't realize that lynching was technically illegal already under the longstanding legal prohibitions on killing innocent human beings. I know. And believe it or not, killing innocent human beings, it's another one of those laws that's been around for hundreds of years in America. And many people in Congress were shocked to learn this. And not only that, it's doubly illegal because of anti-hate crime legislation. So lynching was actually illegal twice over. And now it is three times over. But we have to ask, is that enough? Will black people in America ever receive justice before lynching has been made illegal for a fourth time? These are the questions that the next generation will have to struggle with. Many people mocked the Democrats this week for passing legislation that was effectively meaningless since it outlawed a practice which was already illegal in both federal and state law in all 50 states. However, the Democrats really needed this win. They were already on the record for trying to block civil rights for black people in the 60s, and they created the KKK in the early 1900s, and they were the party that fought to preserve slavery during the Civil War. So it was really important to them to finally get something right on a racial issue. And they did. They were just 100 years too late. And that, sadly, is actually not fake news. This is Luke Taylor, and welcome to a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of Fake News. And what a packed week that was. Let's start with something that's kind of light and funny. Um, if you remember, the Democrat politicians tried to pass voter reform late last year and early this year. They made a push for that. It failed. The only reason it failed was because of the filibuster. And Democrats even toyed with the idea of eliminating the filibuster altogether just to get this voting overhaul through. Now, let's just review where we're at on voting freedom. Under current voting rules, the Democrats claim that the 2016 election was stolen by Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton herself was continuing to claim this right up until the week of the 2020 election. Also, in 2018, under the current voting rules, Georgia governor candidate Stacey Abrams claimed that her election was stolen by current governor Brian Kemp, and she claimed that he's an illegitimate governor and still to this day has not conceded the 2018 race. And she's running in Georgia for governor again later on this year. Then in 2020, under the current voting rules, Donald Trump lost and he questioned the results of the election, claiming it was stolen. 
Now the Democrats are saying that it's just beyond the pale to question election results. This contributed to the reason that Donald Trump was removed from various social media platforms after losing that election. Then, for all of 2021, under current voting rules, Democrats have claimed that that if they can't overhaul the election rules, Republicans will steal that election. The thing that they killed Donald Trump off of Twitter for in 2020, it's the thing that they've been doing themselves before that and ever since then. It's bad if you question 2020 because the Democrats won that election, but they are already questioning 2022, (laughs) even today. The real reason that Democrats want to change the election laws is they want to rig these rules so that they never lose again. That's their vision for the future, sham elections, because that, that's what the Democrats always do when things don't go their way. They try to change the rules, just like when they talk about packing the Supreme Court or doing away with the Electoral College or nuking the filibuster or writing a new constitution entirely. When they don't get the outcome that they want, they are the type who will just kick over the board game. So they claim that Republicans are trying to rig elections by requiring that, you know, as Republicans want to do, they want to require that only eligible voters are able to vote in the elections. The Democrats call this racist because they think that their voters are not all eligible and also because they think that everything is racist and, and also because Democrats are racist. So Republicans make rules requiring voter ID or saying you just can't mail ballots in without a signature, Democrats will call that disenfranchising the voters. So what I, and and what other Republicans will challenge the Democrats to do, is find one of these legally eligible voters who is legally allowed to vote, but who is not able to under these Republican rules. Because that's what the news media usually does when they want to shed light on an issue. They will claim that some kind of issue is hurting a large swath of Americans, so the media finds one of these Americans and tells their story. They usually make it emotional and play sad music or do a long interview with lots of crying. And and this kind of stuff convinces the average American voter that something must be done about this issue. So Democrats claim that voters are disenfranchised by the Republican laws that do things such as require an ID to vote. And Republicans challenge them. Find one legal voter that this law affects. This all brings us to an MSNBC report that came out this week. The reporters at MSNBC, they searched far and wide for someone, anyone, who is a victim of the evil Republican policies that seek to protect us from voter fraud. And the reporters finally found one of these people. It was a reporter. So MSNBC reports that Texas journalist Rochelle Carey wasn't allowed to cast a ballot in Tuesday's primary election, the first since a restrictive voting law was put into place. So Rochelle Carey, she tweeted out recently that she always knew voter suppression was real, but that she never thought it would happen to her. She had voted in every single major election since she was 18 years old. And then she found herself removed from the voter rolls. Is this evil Republican voter suppression? Well, the Democrats had finally found their boogeyman. They finally had proof. A person who was previously allowed to vote was suddenly not able to vote. And she is black. Well, this just proves that Republicans must not want black people to vote, right? Except then it turned out there was a little bit more to the story. Rochelle had actually moved out of the country and she was gone for a while. And then she moved back to the United States of America. But when she moved back, she did not re-register to vote. 
Um, by the way, in case you didn't know, I'm sure you do, though, if you have ever registered to vote before, um, you have to re-register to vote every time you move, like even to a new state, okay? In fact, if I even move from one county to another, I have to re-register with my new county, and they send you a new voter, gar- voter card and tell you the new place that you vote. Yeah, that's actually been a thing like my whole life. So this is nothing new. And when Rochelle Carey was asked by MSNBC if she had registered to vote, um, now if she had, sorry, if she had re-registered to vote now that she's moved back to the United States, Rochelle said, no, I have not (laughs) re-registered. She's probably wanting to wait until like after the next election so she can claim that she was disenfranchised, even though she knows today that all she has to do is re-register and she'll be able to vote again. So they instead they want to claim that it's these evil Republican voter laws that are actually laws that have existed for decades. And then uh, the story turned to MSNBC asking her if she's nervous about trying to vote in the future. And then Rochelle said that, yes, she is nervous. And they talked about how terrible it is that anyone in America would be nervous about voting. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing how fake the news is. They're running segments on people being nervous about things that are entirely within their own control. Then the nervousness is 100% in their imagination, which is also where voter suppression is. Because Democrats have still failed to produce even one example of one person who is legally allowed to vote and is being prevented from doing so. So thank you, MSNBC, for our first fake news item of the week. And uh, they're not off the hook for this next story either, but this next one is actually about a bunch of media outlets. Uh, I want to talk about the Don't Say Gay Bill down in Florida, which is not the Don't Say Gay Bill, but that's what it's being called by the media. What do Democrats and pedophiles disagree on when it comes to public policy? That is the question that's been keeping me up at night lately. (laughs) So Republicans in Florida have proposed a law trying to limit the ability of pedophiles to groom kindergartners. And this law is being referred to as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Now, there's no logic behind that characterization of the bill, um, but this is one of the most successful propaganda campaigns that I've ever witnessed Democrats and media collaborating on to make the, the population believe something that has no basis in reality. So the law says school employees are not allowed to have sexual conversations with children in a kindergarten through third grade. And furthermore, the law says that schools are not allowed to withhold private information about a child's sexuality and gender identity from the child's parent, okay? So the reason a law like this is important in 2022, it's that school districts around the country, they're starting to implement policies where students in schools are allowed to change their name and change their gender at school, but the parents are never notified of this fact. In fact, some schools even go so far as to intentionally deceive the parents about the child's sexuality and gender identity. They'll send documents to the parents that refer to the child by their birth name and their biological gender, but then they'll have alternative documents at the school listing a child's new name and their new chosen gender, and they will do this so that the parent has no idea what's going on with their kid at school. And they're also doing things like teaching, uh, you know, sex ed and progressive gender ideology to these students at the school, but then they're not even telling the parents what is being told to their children. Sometimes these things just kind of leak out and a parent will see like a school assignment or some kind of reading material with 
with sexually explicit content, and that's the only way the parent ever finds out. Um, you know, here's an example. The New York Post reported that a Connecticut school, it was caught assigning homework to students, and the homework was called pizza and consent. And this document was using pizza toppings as metaphors for sexual actions. Um, it was teaching them that some topics can signify certain sexual actions or ways of being touched in a, in a sexual way. And then the assignment asked the kids to draw a pizza with the toppings on it that show what kind of sexual things that they personally enjoy. And the students, by the way, were eighth graders. These were eighth grade students, and they were being asked to list what their favorite sexual activities were. And this was the JFK Middle School in uh, Einfeld, Connecticut. And that's, that's what they call sex ed to eighth graders, having them do assignments that talk about what kind of things that they enjoy sexually. I could go through story after story of stuff like this. This is happening all the time nowadays. Schools are getting caught left and right. I should say left and left. They're getting caught teaching deliberately this inappropriate sexual content to children. And it happens to kids of all ages. Many times parents have no idea or they are deliberately deceived about what's being taught. Uh, the story I just mentioned, that was one that came to mind about uh, middle schoolers. The Florida law that I'm talking about right now, it bans sexual discussions for kindergarten through third grade. That's all it even does is kindergarten through third grade. Now, frankly, <laughs> I'm ready to get rid of sex ed from schools entirely at this point. Like my only complaint about this law in Florida is that it just doesn't go far enough. Like why stop at third grade? I don't think it's appropriate for a teacher to be having sexual conversations with a fourth grader, okay? I don't really want a teacher talking to my child about sex at any age. Uh, there was a school board meeting. This was over for uh, Louisville Public Schools over in Kentucky. They recently shut down a parent who was talking at the board meeting. Um, that So this school board was having a meeting and the parent came there to speak at the meeting and he started reading uh, this sexually explicit material in books that are called Gender Queer and one called Lawn Boy. And the, so the parent was reading this at the meeting uh, for the Louisville schools and a board member cut the parent off said he had no place using obscene, that was the, the board member's word, using obscene language like that in public and at a school board meeting. But the parent was like, these quotations that I'm reading to you, these are taken from books that are available to children in these Louisville public school libraries. Um, so it's, it's well, I say public school libraries. I mean, the libraries that are there at the school where kids can go to and check books out. So if it's too obscene to be read at the school board meeting, by adults, why are they letting children read it in the schools? In the post-millennial reports, um, just this week, a transgender teacher at a Washington State High School was reprimanded recently for making inappropriate jokes in class. And so the transgender teacher, and I don't, I don't know who this teacher is, if it was a male to female or female to male. I'm guessing based on the joke, it was a male to female person. But anyway, I have no idea. The teacher in the story had a tissue dispenser in, I'm going to say his classroom, in his classroom, and the tissue dispenser was a cat, okay? And when you pulled the tissues out of the tissue dispenser, it was like you were pulling them out of the cat's butt. So, I mean, it was, but that's not the thing that the teacher got in trouble for, okay? Um, the transgender teacher was joking with the students about how after they go home at night, he sexually, I'm not sure how to even say this, all right? He molests the cat toy in the tissue dispenser portion of the cat. He told the students this as a joke in the class. 
and this was a high school class, but, um, you know, that's not appropriate <laughs> to be doing with kids of any age, whether they're high school, middle school or whatever. Still wrong. And it's not just a teacher at the school. He is also the advisor for the Anacortes High School Gay Straight Alliance Club. So how did this teacher get caught? The kids actually didn't even go home and complain and get the teacher caught. He posted about this on his Facebook page because he thought this was so funny, his joke about molesting the cat in the where you pull the tissues out on the cat. This is what the teacher was talking about on Facebook publicly, and his Facebook post got screenshotted, and the school officials reprimanded him. They didn't even fire the teacher for this because this is, you know, this is Washington State. This is where they've lost their minds. So what the Florida law is doing It's trying to protect third graders and kids younger than third grade in Florida from these sickos. All right. Then, like I said, all I'm disappointed about is that the law is not doing more. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. So I don't I don't hate I hate I hate to criticize a good law. But this law really doesn't go far enough as far as I'm concerned. And yet the media has gone on a rampage against this Florida law because groomers are not going to be able to victimize children in schools anymore. So they've branded this the don't say gay bill. All right. That's what they're calling it. The don't say gay bill. This is how good at smear campaigns that liberals are. They come up with a catchy name. It has no relation to the truth. But hey, it rhymes. So so every Democrat and every media outlet and every pedophile uses that catchphrase to disparage this law. But the law says nothing about gay when they call it the don't say gay bill. This says nothing about gay. It's talking about inappropriate sexual conversations. It outlaws it for third graders and below. You can't have sexual gay conversations. You can't have sexual straight conversations. It has nothing to do with one sexual orientation over another. It outlaws sexual conversations with small children. And the Democrats and the media and pedophiles across the country have labeled it the don't say gay bill. It's just pretty disturbing when you look at CBS News. Florida Senate Committee passes the Don't Say Gay Bill. BBC, Don't Say Gay. Biden denounces hateful new Florida bill. CNN, Pete Buttigieg on whether Don't Say Gay is dangerous. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on NBC. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signals support for the Don't Say Gay Bill. NPR, Don't Say Gay Bill advances in Florida's legislature. ABC News, White House denounces Don't Say Gay Bill as Florida moves legislation forward. All these media outlets are not using the actual name of the bill. They're using the label that Democrat activists and pedophiles have chosen for the bill. Like, can you imagine the media ever taking a Republican smear of a like a Democrat bill and putting that in the headlines, just using a Republican smear of it? They would never do that. I remember when I worked in newspaper... This was like 2010, 11, 12. I, don't know. I was doing a story on the American Health Care Act, okay? And I referred to it as Obamacare in the headline. And I was told by a copy editor that you can't call it that because they said Obamacare is a Republican smear for it. You have to refer to it as like the American Health Care Act, I think is what it was called. And, and I said, well, hey, President Obama calls it Obamacare. Obama said he even likes that name. And that was actually true. Like Obama said he liked the name Obamacare because Obama cares. So I don't remember if the copy editor ended up making me, <laughs> making me change it. Uh, but, you know, to be fair, I would have been willing to change it if the editor thought it sounded biased because I don't want to appear biased 
or not objective. I don't want to appear like I have an agenda when I'm reporting on something. Well, the news media of today, they have no interest in appearing objective. They just call it the don't say gay bill as, <laughs> as if the, the bill actually outlaws the word gay. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Total lies. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis down there in Florida, who I hope is someday President Ron DeSantis, he was being asked about the so-called don't say gay bill. And th this was his response. Let me play this clip from a reporter talking to him. Does it say that in the bill? Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because you are pushing false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. Well, it says it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation. For who? For, for grades pre-K through three. So five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And um, the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says, it's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. So my gosh, please vote for that man for president in a couple years. Like, I truly think he's the guy we need running this country. Um, he's doing a great job there in Florida. He's not afraid of the press. He's kind of like, he's just basically Trump, but with a little bit more... Um, civility for sure, and uh, a better a better at articulating a conservative worldview. So I, I'm really I'm ha there's a lot of people I'd be happy to see run in 2024. Uh, right now, I'd say my favorite choice is is Governor Ron DeSantis down there. So you know what's interesting to me? You make a law that bans pedophiles and groomers, which are just attempted pedophiles. You make a law that bans them from using government schools to access their victims, because that's all this law is doing. It's preventing groomers from accessing victims. There's no reason I'd be talking about it to third graders and kindergartners about sexual stuff. It's interesting that whenever you make a law like that, the Democrats hear it, and they declare that it's anti-gay. That's how they are characterizing it. Okay, when I hear that, I don't think of that as anti-gay. I would say it's anti-groomer. It's anti-pedophile. But if you're a Democrat, you hear a law that infringes on the access of pedophiles, and they call it anti-gay. That's how the Democrats see it. And the media, and pedophiles, just something they all have in common. By the way, if you have children in these government schools, make sure you know what they're being taught. Okay, find out if your school has policies that would prevent you, the, the child's parent, from knowing what your kid is doing there, how they're being identified how they're being manipulated. Dig into how transparent your school is. Because if you live in a Democrat-run district or a Democrat-run school board, I I've got some bad news for you. They don't think that you have a right to know what's happening with your child while your kid is at school. I mean, okay, listen to this sick woman. She teaches, teaches young children about sexuality. This was a video she posted this week about how she conducts teachings at something. This is over in Kentucky. It's called Sexy summer camp. Listen to this video of how, how she, and this is not appropriate for if you have children with an earshot. <laughs> I kind of hope you don't with what I've been talking about lately, but don't let him hear this next part because this is pretty sick. Um, this is what a teacher at the sexy summer camp in Kentucky, this is what she says. 
that's how we should, you know, like get down with yourself, explore your own body. Masturbation is really healthy. And I recommend it to people of all ages, all ages. As soon as my nephews could talk, they were doing that. That's what they were doing. Kids touch themselves. Kids start to ask questions and we teach them the language for their bodies, right? That's your nose, touch your nose, show Aunt T, you can touch your nose. But my sister's not saying that when they're tugging at their penis, right? But it feels good, right? We have to learn ways to talk to young people about this so that they know how to explore their body consensually so that it's not in public, right? We don't want people exploring their bodies in public. That's not consensual. But exploring your body at any age, grandmas, grandpas, all of us need to be exploring our body. So these are the types of people who are trying to get access to your kids. So you've been warned, all right? My only issue with the Florida law is I just don't think it goes far enough. I shouldn't stop at third grade. Okay, this is good. I hope more is done after this passes. I hope they go further with it after this. I hope that's their plan. But it's not doing nearly what we want if we're gonna trust government schools with our children, okay? When the Titanic is sinking and they only had lifeboats for like half the people on the Titanic, that was considered a colossal failure of planning. Well, our public schools are sinking and there's one state that's provided enough lifeboats for four grades. But you know what? There's nine other grades over there that need saving. So I'm honestly, I'm not super excited by this bill, even though I think it's a good thing. But what we really need is a comprehensive reform. I want to pause here for a minute and do our segment called A Thing That Happened. Uh, over the past few years, we've seen what can happen when government gets too much power. How they turn to authoritarianism and totalitarianism and oppress the rights of citizens, whether it's Australia over COVID or Canada over the trucker convoy. Uh, and guys, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be in prayer for Carly Sandy over in Asheville, North Carolina. So she's in a fight with her State Department of Motor Vehicles. As I read her story, I didn't feel like her situation was just something specific to her. I feel like she really represents a fight for the rights of all Americans and the freedoms that we all enjoy. So here's some breaking news as reported on UPI. North Carolina woman fighting DMV to keep fart vanity plate. A North Carolina woman is fighting the state's Department of Motor Vehicles to keep her unusual personalized license plate, which reads, FART. Carly Cindy of Asheville said that she applied for the license plate in October and was pleasantly surprised when the request was approved, and she was issued the FART plate for the back of her pickup truck. Guys, it's appalling to me that in 2022 that some states still have a discrimination against people who want to have FART license plates. I myself signed up for a personalized license plate a few years ago. It warned me that if there was something offensive about it, that they would not allow me to have it. Well, Carly Cindy of Asheville, she had her request granted. She had the plate on her truck. And then, then after that, months later, then the state is trying to repossess her plate. They thought it was just a fart, but... Then a little more came out than they were expecting. Apparently, they were getting phone complaints that this license plate was offensive. 
to other North Carolina drivers. The DMV told Cindy that she would have to lose the plate unless she could come up with a justifiable reason that she should keep it. So in response, Carly Sandy and some of her friends, they have founded a group. It's called Friends of Asheville Recreational Trails, also known as FART. They even created a mailing list, a website, and merchandise. And so they are claiming that she must be allowed to keep this license plate because this license plate represents the vision of her group that she and her friends have have created. The state's currently reviewing the legitimacy of her request. Early reports are saying that it doesn't pass the sniff test. So I hope the other 49 states will take this as a warning about what happens when you try to step on our rights. You will hear our response. We will not stay silent but deadly. We will band together and fight back. And you don't want to be standing downwind from us whenever we do. And we wish all the best to the Friends of Asheville recreational smells. I mean, trails. And speaking of the DMV, let's pause here for a message about gas prices from our president. We have more oil than anybody, okay? And it's uh, an incredible thing that have, it's happened over the last few years, a lot of great things. And you're paying, what, $2 a gallon for your gasoline? That's okay. You know what that's like? That's like a tax cut. That's bigger than a tax cut. If Biden got in, you'd be paying $7, $8, $9. Didn't they say, get rid of your car? Okay, sorry, wait a second. That, that was our former president. Um, but I do want to point out, that was a scarily good prediction, um, if you've been paying attention outside lately. Prices at some local gas stations, they're way above the average. Well, across the street from the Beverly Center, one of the most expensive places in L.A., drivers are paying this, nearly $7 for regular unleaded, nearly $8 for premium. Drivers said they were surprised and not in a good way. And just keep note of this fact. President Biden tries to blame the gas prices on Putin. Just do not let them gaslight you on the No, no pun intended there. I, I sp- spent all my puns on the previous segment. Um, they're trying to gaslight us and say that this is the Ukraine situation's fault. Gas prices have been rising since the day Biden entered office. This is how they want it. This was his plan since before he was even president. He wasn't even hiding the ball on this. He was open about this all along. People voted for him anyway. He said he wants everybody in electric vehicles by like 2030, doesn't want to be drilling for gas in America, shut down our pipeline on day one. All the stuff he said he was going to do, okay? So he doesn't want gas prices to go down. And they won't go down. This is all part of his plan. So don't fall for it and say, oh, this is Putin forcing us to go electric, forcing us to go green, forcing us to go spend $55,000 on a Tesla. No, that's Joe Biden's plan. And it's working just as he wanted. So don't let him gaslight you. We're going to talk about gaslighting more on a, hopefully soon. Uh, Let's pause for a moment for a message from, from our actual president. Here's a collection of some epic quotes that he dropped in his State of the Union speech last week. We're cutting off Russia's largest banks in the international financial system, preventing Russia's central bank from defending the Russian ruble. We spent months building coalitions of other freedom-loving nations in Europe and the Americas to, from America to the Asian and African continents. And the cost, the threats to the America and America to the world keeps rising. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom. 
He met with a wall, a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. And a pound of Ukrainian people, the proud, proud people, pound for pound, ready to fight with every inch of energy they have. I call it building a better America. <laughs> because you can't build a wall high enough to keep out a, 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 a vaccine. The vaccine can stop the spread of these diseases. So Russia continues to invade Ukraine. And I mention it because this is an important world event that's going on. Uh, probably the most important thing going on in the world right now by far. So as I stated previously, I firmly believe that what Putin is doing is wrong. I think he should stay in his own country. Ukraine is totally the victim here. Okay. But all that said, you simply cannot trust everything that the media is saying and not everything that Ukraine is even saying. There's aspects of this conflict that are pure propaganda. And as I said in the, in the last episode, I think, I don't have like a moral problem with wartime propaganda. Okay. That's, it's just the normal thing people do. So I don't really have a problem with that. It's just for those of us who are trying to see the truth in every situation, we just need to be on guard and really skeptical and not jump, you know, both feet into every juicy story that comes out about what's going on. For example, one recent news item from the past few days is that Russians bombed a hospital full of pregnant women. Now, if that's true, <laughs> that's a very bad PR move for Russia. The Ukraine narrative, though, it's that Russia did this because... Russia's being evil and targeting civilians. Uh, the Russian response is that Ukraine was using this hospital as a base of military operations and that when they bombed it, they believed that all the women had already evacuated it long before. So what is the truth on that? You know, I think it's entirely possible that a mix of those two things is true. Uh, another story I've seen lately is that Russian soldiers have been spotted wearing hazmat type suits as they're entering Ukraine. Uh, as if they're preparing to engage in chemical warfare. However, the Russians say they're just trying to protect themselves in case Ukraine engages in chemical warfare. So, well, you know, which side is it? I'm inclined to believe Ukraine, but also nothing would surprise me. So all I'm saying is don't simply believe the first thing you hear or just whatever Ukraine says. Just be careful about that, especially when new information comes in. It takes a few days for the fog of war to clear away and really understand what's going on. And sometimes it takes longer than that. So what I'd like to talk about today is really the way the rest of the world is reacting to the Russia and Ukraine situation. And it feels like some mistakes are being made that we need to address and perhaps fix really quick so that things don't get worse. Okay. Cause there is stuff we can do to make it worse. Um, there's been a media reaction. There's been an economic reaction and there's been a social reaction to what Russia is doing. Let me start with the social reaction, because I feel like it, that one's kind of the easiest to explain why it's wrong. Um, that Russian people, including people of Russian heritage who are in America, they're being discriminated against, vilified, simply because of their nationality. And you got to remember, not, not everybody even in Russia right now, and not everybody outside of Russia who has a Russian heritage, they're not all on board with what Putin is doing. Okay, there's a lot of disagreement even among Russian people about what Putin is doing. So don't just assume that because someone's Russian, therefore we need to treat them like they are just a physical manifestation of Vladimir Putin right in front of you. That's not how we should act, okay? People in America and around the world, they're facing hateful comments when they're out in public. Russian-owned businesses are being harassed. 
Uh, those things don't need to happen, okay? That's not that's not fighting the right fight. The Disney movie, Anastasia, which I've never even seen, but I guess it took place in Russia. Like, that was taken off of Disney+, Plus, uh, apparently. And it's not just in America, by the way. The International Cat Federation has banned Russian cats from competitions. A diner in Quebec. They took an item off of its menu called poutine because it sounds like Putin. So <laughs> all this stuff, it's really overblown. It's getting kind of stupid. Like as someone who is not a cat person, okay, we should not be discriminating against Russian cats. And I say that as someone who almost any day of the week would not waste breath to defend a cat. All right. I don't like cats. I think cats are condescending. They, they always think they have the right when they don't. And I do not appreciate their form of love. I think it's a deceptive love. And I, I am alleged to have sold my wife's cat to a crazy neighbor lady. So I am far from a cat lover. And yet I must speak out when Russian cats are the targets of flagrant hate and undeserved vitriol. This is what the situation has turned me into. Something I never wanted to be. Before this week, I didn't even know that the International Cat Federation was a thing. And now that I do, um, frankly, I'm, I'm terrified for the safety of me and my entire family. Uh, I have not been worried about Russia taking over the world. But I'm a bit concerned that the International Cat Federation might. Because I feel like they could have the power. And now we've seen they are so diabolical that the International Cat Federation is willing to wield their destructive power against their own kind. Look at what they're willing to do to fellow cats. If they're willing to cancel Russian cats, just imagine what they're willing to do to you. So when I hear that the International Cat Federation is banning Russian cats, I, I feel about that the same way, honestly, that I do about the Florida anti-groomer law. Um, I just don't think it goes far enough. I would like the International Cat Federation to ban all cats, not just Russian ones. Um, like, you know, how that Florida law, it only protects kids from kindergarten through third grade. I just wish it did more. That's kind of how I feel about the Russian cat ban. Why target just one cat group? Ban all cats. But I don't think the International Cat Federation has the guts to do that. So uh, this hysteria against the Russians, it's way overblown. I just want to mention that on, in the social aspect. Don't, it doesn't mean you have to hate on Russian people. By the way, a lot of the people who are hating on all Russians right now, and they think it's okay because Russians are considered white. I mean, these are the same people who would say in the, in the post 9-11 world that, that we shouldn't hate on all Muslims. You know, just because some Muslims did a bad thing that we shouldn't hold that against all Muslims, right? They would say, oh, just because some illegal immigrants are murderers and rapists that we shouldn't act like they all are. But then it comes to Russia and it's like open, open season on Russians. It, it's just really, it, they only do that because Russians are considered white. So it's not, since it's not racist, I guess, to hate on them then. Anyway, that's the social angle. The, then there's the media angle. And we kind of talked about fake news, wartime propaganda in the last episode. But let me mention social media here. So social media has announced that it's cracking down on Russian propaganda. Again, I think Russia is the bad guys. So in a sense, like I'm okay with that. But on the other hand, I'm also a free speech nut. And, and I always think about stuff like this in kind of a future sense, all right? If we allow social media to regulate free speech today, 
How could that be turned around and used against us in the future? If we celebrate censorship today, like what if that emboldens social media to censor us in the future whenever we have an unpopular view? You know, I'm not sure I'm ready to throw out the First Amendment just over the Russia and Ukraine situation. I'm not sure that I'm ready to make the internet less free because Putin decided to invade another country. So the precedent that this sets, it will far outlast the current events in Russia. And me, I'm all about precedent, okay? I'm trying to think futuristically about this stuff. So like Google, they announced that they're not gonna let Russia Today show up in its searches because the, Russia Today is sharing the, the Russian side of the story on this invasion. And then something that I find even worse is that DuckDuckGo is following suit. DuckDuckGo announced that they would also ban Russia today. If you don't know what DuckDuckGo is, it's the social media platform that was supposedly the free speech alternative to Google. So like when Google would restrict some companies from showing up in searches, that's when DuckDuckGo was here to say, use us instead because over at DuckDuckGo, we believe in free speech. And yet this week, DuckDuckGo says that they are cracking down on Russian propaganda. So they basically destroyed their entire brand. <laughs> like the one thing that marketed DuckDuckGo as distinct from Google, they just ruined it. And, and it seems like free speech alternative platforms like this, they always disappoint us at the in the end. They market themselves as a platform for free speech. And they always seem to give up on that at some point down the road. Every time there's a crisis, like COVID, the 2020 election, whatever, social media companies, they always use that as an excuse to restrict our free speech rights. And they say they do it for the social fabric, to protect us from disinformation, to save lives. But the emergency eventually passes, and then we end up less free than we were before. And finally, I just want to mention the economic side of this Russian isolation. This is the most, uh, you know, the most justifiable way that we're fighting back against Russia. And I, I, all I want to say about it, I think it could also have a dangerous side effect. So we have decided as a, when I say we, I mean like as a world community, we've decided not to engage in physical warfare to save Ukraine from Russia. Um, apparently, we're not even going to send military re relief to Poland. They decided that this week. So I would say it's pretty clear now. America and the EU and the rest of the world, they've basically seemed to decide that even if Ukraine falls, we're not going to go get involved in a military sense. And that's fine. I mean, that might be the right call. It's, it's one of those things that's really hard to say. However, the way we've decided to fight back is through economic warfare. Um, we are essentially destroying Russia's economy. The Russian ruble has dropped by nearly half of its value since the invasion started. America said this week they're going to stop buying Russian oil. And, you know, I feel like that's justified. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Then, of course, you also have companies like McDonald's, and they say they're not going to have any more Russian McDonald's's, and <laughs> credit card companies are saying they won't do business in Russia anymore. The more I hear of that stuff, it just it seems a little bit more risky. Like, I get why they're doing it. I'm not saying it's unjustified. I know we're all trying to kind of do our part. But I just want to point out the more we do stuff like that, the more that we risk making the Russians feel desperate. And if we make Russia more desperate, if we make them feel like 
the survival of their entire country depends on how this war turns out, that makes them willing to do whatever it takes to win. Whether that's nuclear or chemical warfare, engaging, you know, attacking even more countries. I mean, it's entirely possible. China backs up Russia and things turn into World War III. That's still entirely possible. So some of this economic destruction <laughs> that we're unleashing on Russia, I'm not saying it's unjustified or that it's even wrong. I'm saying this is the kind of stuff that could... Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of some of the stories that I've, I've kind of read about World War I and World War II, that after World War I, the world isolated Germany so much, destroyed Germany's economy because they blamed Germany so much for World War I, that when Hitler ran, he was able to run on a platform of trying to restore Germany to its former greatness and former glory and, and to, you know, to try to take revenge on the rest of the world by, by conquering it. So World War II was kind of a backlash for how the world treated Germany after World War I. And I'm not saying that means Germany was justified. I'm just explaining whenever we engage in this kind of economic warfare like we did to Germany after World War I, that made Germany become very, very dangerous. And I, I just hope we don't go overboard, okay, on punishing Russia to the extent that we create a similar circumstances. Plus, to kind of go back to this idea of setting a bad precedent, once this Russia and Ukraine situation is resolved, what have we done? Well, now we've created a world where if you do something that the people in power, the elites that they don't approve of, they'll just destroy you economically, okay? They can freeze your bank account like Canada did to the trucker convoy. They'll steal your money like they did with the GoFundMe over there. Like they can, they can ban other people from doing business with you because they don't like you. They don't like what you do or what you think. It sets a very dangerous precedent. That's all I'm saying. So no Disney Plus for Russia. Well, that could someday become no Disney Plus for you if you don't tow the party line on whoever is in power. All right, um, let's talk about what's racist for this week. Everything is racist. So um, shower heads have been declared racist as of March 5th of 2022. So a week ago now. Um, I don't know who tweeted this. This is just a tweet. <laughs> Maybe someone could explain this for me. It says, can we all agree that shower heads that spray directly down on your head are anti-black. So don't really know how to interpret that. Uh, I have the tweet in front of me, but whoever was sharing the tweet blocked out the name of the person. So anyway, no one famous or anything. Someone will have to explain to me how showerheads can be racist. Also, being Hispanic is racist, according to Axios. All right, so here's a headline from Axios. It says, the rise of white nationalist Hispanics. So <laughs> many Hispanic people in America, uh, perhaps even most of them, are actually pretty conservative. Uh, when I was in college, there's a lot of Hispanic people who live in my area of the country, and all the Hispanic people that I knew, they were conservative. They voted for John McCain. They were anti-abortion. They were anti-gay marriage. So um, Hispanics and American, they're pretty conservative as far as a bloating, voting block. Um, they're more reflective, I would say, of America's divide as a whole rather than all being on one side. It's not like black people where 80% 80 of them voted for Joe Biden in the last election. So the Democrats are a little bit confused about this because they're like, well, wait a minute, 
What about all the racist Republicans who are against illegal immigration? But guess what? Hispanic Americans who took the time to follow our laws and immigrate the right way, they don't have a lot of respect for people who tried to take shortcuts and do it the dishonest way. So Axios has decided that it's time to warn us about the rise of Hispanics who are white nationalists. And their, their entire article that they wrote is actually just about one guy, literally just one guy, the whole article, who is Hispanic, but identifies himself as a white nationalist. Or that's what they say. I don't know if he actually does. So when, you know, it's like when one journalist moved out of the country and then moved back in and they were an example of widespread voter suppression. Okay. And also it makes the equal amount of sense to them to find one Hispanic man and use that as proof of widespread white nationalism. So that's Axios for you. Let's go on to our next subject today. Uh, My first movie review on this podcast. From your secret friend. Who? Having a clue. Let's play a game. Just me and you. Any of this mean anything to you? You're becoming quite a celebrity. Why is he writing to you? If you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price for your blind eye? So I saw the new movie, The Batman, on Thursday night, and I'll just give a little mini review here. Um, DC movies, they tend to be weaker than the Marvel movies, and the exception to that rule has generally been the Batman movies that Christopher Nolan made three films that are, they're not just greater than most Marvel movies even, they're some of the best superhero movies of all time, uh, especially The Dark Knight, which is one of the best movies of all time. So the exception to the DC rule has usually been the Batman movies, but then this movie, I would say, is an exception to the Batman movie rule, because I walked out of the theater feeling pretty mixed on this one, Um, which for me usually means that I end up thinking of it as more of a fail than a win. The reason I'm mixed is because there's a lot of things to love about this film. The musical score is by, I'm not, I probably won't say it right. It's like Michael Giacchino. He does a lot of movie scores. He did Lost back when Lost was on and I loved his music on Lost. I just used to listen to it while I was at work. I would just listen to the Lost music because I just loved it. Um, This score in the new Batman movies, uh, movie, it's one of the best scores I've ever heard in a superhero film. There's few superhero movie scores that are better than this one. Some of the contenders would probably be like the most recent Spider-Man movie. They have some great scores, which are also, by the way, by Michael Giacchino. Uh, Another contender would be the Batman movies from Christopher Nolan. They had amazing music from Hans Zimmer. So the theme music in this new Batman film, uh, it is incredibly immersive. It's iconic. It's by far the best thing about the movie. The next best thing is the cinematography. 
that it just looks beautiful the whole time. Like every shot of this movie could be a painting. I, I love how much attention was put into the filming of it. So it had a lot to love. I was always digging the immersion of the film. Well, for the first two thirds of it, okay? This is like a textbook example to me of where a movie falls apart in the third act. Like I was, it was so intriguing with the mystery and chasing the Riddler, like for that whole first part of the film. It had this kind of old timey detective style with narration and finding clues and solving riddles. And it just really grips you and draws you in. But it just doesn't really go anywhere. Like the Riddler, he's mad about corruption in the city. And so he's killing people who are tied into corruption. But the, like the Riddler himself, he doesn't really have a moral framework of his own. <laughs> like He doesn't have a suggestion to fix the current corrupt system that he doesn't like very much. He complains about the state of the city, but he doesn't have plans for how to make stuff better. Yeah, he's he's fine with doing evil things himself. So I don't want to spoil like too much of the film, but I just kind of felt like in the last third of the movie when everything got out in the open, it just didn't really go anywhere. There was no interesting answers, no interesting motivations behind the characters. The explanations they gave, they just really had no impact. They didn't really make sense with everything we saw before. Like the Riddler was just, he just ended up being a crazy guy who randomly screamed and cried and he had no philosophy he was just a nut job. There was no moral to the story. There was no message in the film. So it's one of those movies that looked really good and sounded really good. It had style, but not substance. Like the, the Riddler makes a couple speeches about how we have to tell the truth. But like, what is the truth? It's just never really explained. The Riddler says not to lie. This is a major emphasis of his plan throughout the film. <laughs> he duct tapes his victims and he writes things on the duct tape like, uh, don't lie, stop lying. He'll do that, but it's never explained. Like, it's never explained what the duct tape is all about. <laughs> you know, it's just a random thing he does that's creepy. He has no truth to replace the lies with. He has no motive. It's just crazy. He likes duct taping things. You know, it looks creepy, but it has no explanation given in the movie. So it's just all style but there's no substance to it. It talks about avoiding lies, but it has no moral center in which to ground truth. And it feels a lot like our modern culture. This movie is very much a reflection of our culture. Um, a few characters in it, you know, they talk about white privilege and how rich people are the bad guys. And so some people are kind of reacting to that and calling it a woke movie, which, which I would actually also point out, it is the bad guys who are the ones talking about that stuff. <laughs> You know, uh, and it would be hard to say that that's what the movie's about because the movie isn't really about anything. Uh, like at least, you know, the Nolan Batman movies, it kind of had cool commentary on things like government surveillance in a post 9-11 world. It, the movie had themes in it like fear, uh, overcoming loss, things that we all deal with. Uh, I heard one podcast just yesterday. I was thinking about this. I heard a podcast use the phrase, some people just like to watch the world burn. You know, that's a quote from The Dark Knight, which came out in 2008. Some some men just want to watch the world burn. And they say, how do you stop someone like that? In the movie, they say, we burned the forest to the ground. That is such an iconic line. It's a relevant situation to our modern times. Um, like, do we burn the social media forest to the ground to stop Putin or to stop COVID misinformation? If we do, then what's left? You know, that's a debate that we're having even today. 
There's a line toward the end of that movie about how Batman is not the hero we deserve, but he's the hero that we need right now. <laughs> you know, that's an encapsulation to me of how I felt about the Donald Trump presidency, that I wished we had a better man in the White House, someone who was more refined and respectable. But you know what? At that time in America, we needed, we needed a sledgehammer to keep this country together back in 2016. So my point is, there's nothing really like that in this new Batman movie. Like, oh, just think about it. A week after the new Batman movie comes out, nobody's quoting it. People are quoting the Batman movie that came out 14 years ago, <laughs> but they're not quoting this one because there's just nothing really there. Um, the movie... The movie's lack of message just kind of symbolized to me, talking about the new Batman movie, it symbolized our current culture. We have a lot of style. We do put a lot of emphasis on truth. But that truth is just relative to each person. And so therefore, that truth doesn't really mean anything. The only truth our American culture likes is that you're supposed to respect each other person's truth. Unless one person's truth says that you shouldn't respect everyone else's truths. And then you're not supposed to respect that truth. You see, it's just kind of contradictory and meaningless. Any path to truth has to be destroyed to preserve a vague idea of truth. Men aren't supposed to have an opinion on abortion because they don't have a uterus. Unless they are in favor of abortion, and then it's fine for men to have an opinion on abortion, right? Black people, they are oppressed by white privilege. So they have a greater access to the truths that white people are blind to because of their privilege and white equilibrium. Unless you're a white person who supports critical race theory, then you're good. Because now you know the truth that other white people can't see. And what if you're a black person who doesn't think that truth should be relative to skin color? They say, well, now you're just a self-loathing black person who has internalized racism. See, everybody talks about truth, but the truths that they talk about don't mean anything. It's just all contradictory and meaningless. The same thing with this stuff on gender. Okay, Northwest Missouri State University... They put out a tweet celebrating that March is Womanix History Month, okay? That Womanix History Month. Here's how they spell it. W-O-M-Y-N-X. Womanix. Maybe that's how you say it. Womanix. <laughs> so what is Womanix History Month? Well, March is typically Women's Month, okay? But it's not enough anymore to celebrate Women's Month. They say now you must commemorate Womixen. That's whenever you make the word woman, but you put an X where the like the E goes in women. Okay? Like Womixen. W-O-M-X-N. What does that mean? Well, that's a word that's meant to include biological women as well as transgender women, who are, by the way, literal men, but they identify as women. So to include them in Women's Month, a new word was invented that includes both biological women and fake women. But that was considered offensive by the transgender community because creating a new word for women implies that transgender women are something other than actual women. So they didn't like that very much. And then the actual women were offended that transgender women were being considered actual women and being allowed to celebrate March along with all the biological women. So a group of feminists who oppose transgender ideology, in order for them to protect feminism, they created a new class of people who were called trans-exclusionary radical feminists. And they also created a new word that's meant to describe real women and excludes transgender women, and that's called women. It's W-O-M-Y-N. It's a woman with a Y in the place of the X or the E. 
math, okay? This is getting really complicated. Woman with a Y, W-O-M-Y-N, that is supposed to mean only actual biological women. So Northwest Missouri State University, now we come around to March where it's Women's Month and they can't resist just ignoring it like I would do, (laughs) like I always do. No, they have to include everybody. So they've invented another new word. Wom, womanix. Womixin. Womixin. W-O-M-Y-N-X. Womix. I don't know. They just keep making up new words to appease everyone. How do you have a month celebrating a community that didn't even exist a couple years ago? Why are we needing to celebrate Womanix History Month? <laughs> Well, Democrats will find a way because what do they always do? They destroy old truths to replace it with new ones, but the new ones don't really mean anything. Okay, what even is a woman for lefties? It's, they just say it's anyone who feels like a woman. But what, what is that? Who feels like a what? A woman. But what is a woman? Anyone who feels like a woman. Okay, feels like a what? A woman. But what is a woman? Anyone who feels like a woman. See, there's no answer to these questions. They're just circular. They don't mean anything. What is their truth that they want us to believe? They don't have one. They just keep criticizing the previous truth and replacing it with a new truth that makes even less sense than the old truth, like the last hour of that Batman movie. So the women hate the men, so they make a new word, and the transgender women hate the feminists, so they make a new word, and the feminists hate the transgenders, so they make a new word, and the rest of us hate all of them for making the dictionary way longer than it needs to be. Let's do Beyond the Headline. Okay, for our Beyond the Headline segment, before we close down today, I just want to look at this story from the Christian Post. It reported on a megachurch in Canada, which recently had its pastor resign due to him having an extramarital affair. So here's the headline. It's megachurch pastor Brooksy Cavey resigns over adultery, abuse of power. He calls it my greatest failure. Here's how it starts. Brooksy Cavey, the primary teaching pastor of one of Canada's largest megachurches, The Meeting House... Let me just pause there for a minute. (laughs) Why do you name a church the Meeting House? (laughs) Like, does anything sound less exciting than going to a meeting? (laughs) I guess going to church, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like some people who find church really boring um, and they're dropping out of church a lot in modern times. It's like, how do we engage with the modern crown that finds church to be dull and uninteresting? I know, let's call it a meeting. (laughs) And we'll put a house on the end of it, right? Like, what? Is that what you want to do when you get home at the end of the day? You want to have a meeting? Well, they've created the meeting house because I guess the dirt farm was already taken. So (laughs) it's a meeting in a house. They put a the on the front of it because that's considered original nowadays, right? There's been 10 Batman movies. What did they call the new one? They called it the Batman. My gosh. It's like we're living in the most uncreative time in human history. The only thing that we invent is new ways to spell the word woman. Okay, let me get back to this. So Bruxy Cavey has resigned after an independent investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct commissioned by the church last December. It concluded that he abused his power. The article says the investigator determined that Bruxy had maintained a sexual relationship with the victim, an adult woman, in violation of the meeting house policy. So let me pause there. As you read it, it goes into the facts, the fact that Brexy Cavey, 
and the article is using his first name because it's quoting from the church documents a lot. So Bruxy Cavey was counseling a woman. He was having private meetings with her. And then this turned into an affair. And she was in her 20s and he was in his 40s. So when it says the victim up above, um, it's not talking about like a small child here. She was an adult and she willingly engaged in this affair with Cavey. And I think that's important to note because it relates to what I want to talk about today. I, I like I want to dig in a little bit today into the language that we use when we talk about affairs and rape and power dynamics and all that stuff. So let me read a little bit more here. The investigator also found that what became a sexual relationship between Bruxy and the victim, which lasted over an extended period of time, it constituted an abuse of Bruxy's power and authority as a member of the clergy and amounted to sexual harassment. As a result of the findings, the board unanimously decided to ask Bruxy to resign from his role at the meeting house, effective immediately. And then it says, Cavey submitted his resignation on March 3rd, which the church leaders accepted. And I'll mention too, Cavey, it, it said he's also an author. Um, I've read a lot of Christian books. I've never heard of the guy. So I don't know how big of an author he is. Cavey also wrote this message on his blog. He said, some years ago, I had an extramarital affair. I am so ashamed to even write these words, and I'm so sorry that you have to read them. This adulterous relationship is my greatest failure, my darkest sin, and I take full responsibility for my actions. I have broken bonds of trust with my wife, family, church family, including the woman I became involved with. I have brought untold pain, heartache, and confusion into the lives of those I love and who love me. I'm deeply sorry. So as far as apologies go, um, I appreciate he at least took responsibility. I'm glad he's willfully leaving the ministry. Uh, the article goes on to say that the church had they, they held a meeting to discuss the situation with its congregants. And here's where it got interesting to me. Someone posed this question. They said, wasn't this just an affair? So when that question was asked, somebody on the board interjected, and they said it was not just an affair. It was clergy sexual abuse. I just want to make a comment about that real quick. Okay, and I don't necessarily have a problem with calling it that, except that this is the same language that used to be used to describe child sexual abuse by like, you know, the Catholic priests in the 90s. That was that one scandal that exploded really big. Um, and, it, you know, as terrible as it is for a pastor to use his position to influence a woman into having an affair, I think we need to use some clarity whenever we describe it. Um, instead of taking another term that just seemed to have a clear meaning before, clergy sexual abuse, and then expanding it to include this situation as well. Like, is it always sexual abuse for a person in a position of authority to entice someone else into a sexual relationship? Is abuse the best word to use for that? You know, the Democrats did not use that when they were defending Bill Clinton back in the 90s. Uh, you know, at first they were saying, oh, this didn't even happen. And then it turned out that it did happen, that he was having an affair with Monica Lewinsky. And they said, well, listen, it was a consensual affair, a consensual affair, so it's none of our business. Now, if you think about it, a president is more powerful than a pastor, um, just as far as hierarchies of power go. It's the most powerful position in the United States of America, potentially the world. So whenever he entices a woman into a sexual relationship with him, um, why would that not be called abuse? You know, it's like these things, these these. We, we had more clearly defined categories before, but now it's all getting mixed around. 
And listen, I'm a pastor myself. I think what this pastor did is extremely immoral. Like, I think he should be kicked out of the ministry. But that said, based on how his relationship was described in this article, I think the word affair would be more accurate, okay? There's no indication anywhere. No one's claimed that there was rape. Now, if you call it rape, I think that would minimize the sufferings that actual rape victims have suffered. And I just want us to have some clarity whenever we describe something like this. Instead of trying to find the worst possible label we can stick on everything, we need to be more clear and and careful about the language that we use. Um, The woman who engaged in this affair, she also released a statement. She did not do it under her name. She wanted to remain private, but this is what she said in her statement. She said, This began during a pastoral counseling relationship when I was 23 and he was 46. So that's what the woman said. And she also added, I was in crisis and trust in him. I that, that was how she phrased it. I was in crisis and trust in him. I did not, nor could I, consent to a sexual relationship with him. So let me read that last sentence one more time. This is what she says. I did not, nor could I, consent to a sexual relationship with him. Well, when I read that, I just have to point out something here, okay? If you are 23, you are an adult. And she was not physically held down and forced into this affair. This affair went on for a long time. The woman says she was in crisis, okay? Maybe she was going through something and she was emotionally unstable. She was upset about something. He took advantage of her. She fell for it. I understand all that. But it's never alleged that he forced her to do this, that she chose it too. She never alleges that he physically raped her at any point. She says that the relationship, they both say that it lasted a long time. So maybe it started because she was in a weak place emotionally. Okay, maybe she was kind of unstable or something. But listen, when you are, when you're in that state, that doesn't mean that you're not responsible for your actions anymore. There's not a crime you can commit where you say, well, I was just emotionally unstable. You know, that doesn't get you off the hook. You are still responsible for your actions. And so the pastor in this situation, he made a horrible, egregious decision. He did a terrible thing. I'm willing to say he's more at fault, but I'm not willing to say that the woman shares none of the blame. I really dislike it whenever someone says, I did not, nor could I, consent to a sexual relationship with him. Well, I I just don't buy that. You know, the question of the morality of this woman's actions, of course it revolves around the concept of consent. If she consented, then she's responsible. If she didn't, he alone is responsible. So, well, when I say if she consented, she's partially responsible, not for the whole thing, but she's still partially responsible if she consented. So, of course, from her perspective, she wants to deny even the possibility of consent on her part. She wants to frame herself as a 100% helpless victim. But um, this goes into what I've been mentioning the past few episodes about the concept of consent and how the the left wing uses that. <laughs> She's using it the way a left winger would, so that's probably where she <laughs> lines up. That they they mess around with this word consent and make it mean something that it didn't mean 10 or 20 years ago. Um, consent is the only sexual ethic that the left really believes in anymore. Like when they finally broke free of Christian sexual ethics and they got gay marriage back in 2015, their argument back at that time, they said the state has no say in the actions between consenting adults. So they obsess over this idea of consent. And the biggest problem with that is that their ethic of consent 
It's not rooted in, in anything. There's no underlying ethic. There's no morality to their what they think about sex. It's just all about consent, but consent can be whatever they want it to be, whenever they need it to be. Now, you might say, but wait a minute. There are laws about consent. Yeah, but they can change those laws anytime they want to. <laughs> what, the, what the woman who was 23 and this pastor who, did, who was 46, she says she did not consent, but legally... That, there's nothing illegal about that relationship. It's terribly wrong, but there's nothing illegal about it based on consent laws in Canada or anywhere else between a 23-year-old and a 40-something-year-old. So in, in California, they changed the, the laws a few years ago. They lowered the age of consent for gay people to 11. They did that back in 2020. A 40-year-old man can groom and sexually harass a 14-year-old or engage in sexual activity with a 14-year-old, as long as the 14-year-old willfully consents, it's legal in California. But when a 23-year-old adult woman, when she has private meetings with a pastor that turn into an affair, she says she bears no responsibility because somehow she could not consent to it. (laughs) She's referred to as the victim by the church. And she can claim she that she, what what she wants to claim she can claim that she had no ability to consent because of the power dynamics there, okay? So the media and the Democrats and the pedophiles in Florida right now they're fighting for the right to have consensual sexual discussions with second graders. Explain to me how can a second grader consent to a sexual conversation with a twenty three year old teacher, but a 23-year-old woman can't consent to a relationship with a 46-year-old man. That's why I don't like this emphasis on consent. Remember that sexy sexy summer camp video I played earlier about sexualizing children? That weirdo in it, she just went on and on about consent. Talking about little kids, talking about their consent. How can a small child consent to anything? But this is all the left has. They don't follow a Bible. And when they got rid of the Bible, they didn't replace it with something else. They just have this vaguely defined word called consent. But when consent is the only rule, that's really not enough. That won't regulate behavior. On leftism, though, children can consent to sexuality, but adult women cannot. It just makes no sense. There's no underlying ethic or message or meaning. It sounds nice, but there's no substance to it, just like that Batman movie. This has been Luke Taylor. Thanks for listening to Fart News, a silent but mostly deadly podcast. Okay.